long day I got a lot to say It feels like I'm carrying a two-ton weight I go see a friend Hello, I'm Monsignor Patrick Winslow. And I am Father Matthew Kauth. And we are speaking from the rooftop. A podcast brought to you by 10 Books, in which we invite you to join our conversation out here in the open air. Where we look out upon the world around us from the rooftop of the church and share with you what we see. Makes me Good morning, Father Cow. Good morning, and happy Holy Week to you. And to you as well. I thought it would be a great idea, as you know, that we take a moment this week to talk about Holy Week. Uh, since right now it's Spy Wednesday, so happy feast day. Uh, it's when Judas betrays our Lord. You didn't catch the humor? Um, I was trying to put together feast day, <laughs> and... <laughs> And Judas betraying our blessed <laughs> Lord. I'm like, how do I feast on that? How do I celebrate that? Um, sounds like a fast day. It was a, a needling. Day. It was a Judas uh, okay. needling. I got you. Well, he had the money purse, so. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. You have that in common, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to raise a lot of money for I, the seminary. So. I do. But um, at least, I must say, uh, you do it well and uh, you're serving the church really well so well, thank you so much i don't steal from the money purse no that's you what don't. you're suggesting absolutely and not. i don't think that the money should be the 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 uh the nard should be sold and the money given to the poor we'll give this to jesus which that's is an right. important thing to remember mm -hmm. that people do not like to give things to him hmm. and we catholics do i mean devotionals uh, people that are devout do but there is something interesting about the fact that it grates on us oftentimes when people give things to him, even their own sons and daughters relative to the religious life, or the priesthood, or certainly funds to be sure. But then also just even acts of piety. You ever see persons get angry when you see young persons who are pious? Almost as if God doesn't want that or God shouldn't have that. Right, or the person who pulls up in a Mercedes-Benz exactly. is, right. an is annoyed that uh, someone's having a second collection that day we don't but it's so it's so different uh for the people with piety genuine piety yes you know and this does dovetail beautifully into talking about holy week because holy week is not compulsory a holy thursday good friday the easter vigil these are not holy days of obligation and yet they're really a, it's the holy week of the year uh and so we look at holy week for example as being uh, what Sunday is to the week, Holy Week is to the year. And yet, the only day that's compulsory or mandatory or day of obligation is Easter Sunday. And so there is a, a voluntary aspect, a, mm. a, a sense of giving of self to participate in the days of Holy Week. In fact, I remember, um, you know, when we were at St. Thomas, we started our Fatima processions. That's right. And uh, every time as a pastor... I'm sure you know this as well. When people wanted to do something as a group, they would say, well, let's have a mass. Let's have, so th this group wanted to do something. Well, let's have a mass. And then another group would say, well, let's have a mass. And it almost seemed like people didn't know how to piously give of themselves. So they ran to what they knew was a holy thing. And they were just going to kind of cloak it in the event. Right, right. right? The mass becomes a placard 
for a particular theme. Exactly. And yeah. the instinct is right in the sense that it's, sure. it's holy and Absolutely. they want it to be a centerpiece. But they they lost a sense of being able to give themselves the way we would with true devotion. Right. So right. when we right. were presenting um, the Fatima processions from May 13th to October 13th and the 13th of each month, we deliberately did not want to have a mass. We wanted this to be an opportunity for the faithful to come on their own accord from their own devotion and piety. They would come together, recall the events of what took place on that, that day and the apparition of Fatima. They would pray the rosary, light candles, and we would process and sing. And I remember watching the faces of the people as they left and how eager they were to return. Mm. Because it was their act of self-sacrifice and devotion and giving. It wasn't like a mass where you go, and quite honestly, as much as you try to internally participate as we should rightly in the mass, we are on the receiving end. It's Christ who's doing the giving. Right, right. Uh, Your active participation is to be a volitional offering. There's nothing to do. Right. right? And that's, that, that is exactly what takes place, that devotional aspect in this week. And we begin with Palm Sunday in which you, you have this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then, of course, our Lord moves closer and closer to his passion in the various readings. Then all of a sudden on Thursday is the Last Supper. And it always struck me as wild, really, when I realized as a priest that the whole world doesn't stop. Mm. And I think that one of the most important things to do in Holy Week in terms of that devotional aspect is just not to leave him. Don't engage in things if you can at all help it. Engage in things that sort of take you um, into the normal work week, into the normal week of, of the sort of quotidianum, the, 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 the humdrum of the day, that everything should be somewhat different because of what's taking place. And even just walking out, driving your car to the, the, um, the services, for example, as, as we have to do too, because I'm helping out here, there, and everywhere, I'm just amazed to see people like shopping or just doing normal things because in my mind it's impossible. I mean, it just everything stops now yeah and if people can do that engage to the extent that they are able and say i'm not going to leave him right now i'm not going to abandon him i may not be able to do everything or go to everything but i'm going to make this week radically different which is one of the reasons that we used to talk about um the sort of triptych of the triduum right the sort of unfolding of holy thursday good friday uh, the descent into hell on Holy Saturday, and then, of course, the resurrection on Sunday, almost as kind of a continuum. Um, you sort of met metaphorically or, or analogously called it, I think, once the, uh, like, one mass with, a, with two consecrations. But right. Well, it's not, it's not perfectly accurate to say that, but it, it, it gets the point across, right, that this thing is stretched into real time, that all of a sudden, unlike every single Holy Mass in which everything happens in one act, in one hour even. Um, now things are stretched out into real time. And so you're there on Holy Thursday, you go with him to the garden, you experience the loss of him at midnight when he's taken away from us as he was when the soldiers came to get him. And then of course, relative to Holy uh, Good Friday, we, we actually have the Passion Service at, at three, right? when he died. It's, it's real time, etc. I think another way, another way to say it is to use an analogy of silly putty. So you remember silly putty? 
And like, I mean, there were probably. I don't understand why, why. Why did Silly Putty? Why did Silly Putty have the capacity like to take cartoons off? I didn't. It I just never, pulled the ink. How? You can't do it on glossy things. Okay. So it's it's literally pulling the ink. I guess if you do Silly Putty enough, you pull all the ink off. I the suppose. Page. So I, that's why it worked like with newspapers. So all right. So then you can stretch the figures. Uh, exactly. So, all right. So so here's here's the idea, right? Every celebration of a mass. You're going to reduce the sacred trudum to silly no, buddy. Is this no, what's happening here? I'm using an analogy. Remember, we talked about this in the beginning. <laughs> they limp, but <laughs> but they also help. Okay, so just just bear with me because I think bearing. I think you might like it. Okay. All right. So so with silly putty, for those of you who are unfamiliar with silly putty, it's this little plasticky, gooey stuff you place on comes paper. Comes in an egg. Comes, comes in an egg. egg. So there See, you go. That's Easter. Easter-ish, yeah. <laughs> so you place it on a newspaper image, and it, re- it it pulls off the image onto the putty, and you can stretch it and make it really elongated, or you can distort it and things of that nature. So, all right, every celebration of the mass whether it's a daily mass or whether it's the Sunday mass throughout the year, we celebrate the Paschal mystery of Christ, the passion, the death, the resurrection, ascension of our Lord. This is the, 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 the condensed Paschal mystery at every celebration of the mass. And we ordinarily do this within a daily mass, a half hour time slot, an hour time slot at a Sunday mass or a Holy day of obligation, but it's fairly condensed. But during Holy Week, it's as though we've taken some silly putty, placed it on top of an image of the Mass, and the church has stretched it out. As you say, going more to a real time, <clears throat> from Thursday to Friday to Saturday kind of thing. But even with Palm Sunday, which we just celebrated, we're stretching it all out. So what happens at every celebration of the Mass? You have the priest and the procession enter into the sanctuary. Well, this Palm Sunday, what did we do? We stretched out and elongated the procession. Why? Because we're reflecting on the moment that Jesus goes into Jerusalem, that he has this moment. So we, we, we have an additional gospel at the beginning. We're, we're starting either outside or at the door of the church usually. And we have uh, these, these antiphons and chants and prayers, and we're waving the palms because in a certain sense, we are elongating what happens at every single Mass, um, which is normally simply condensed as the preacher approaches the sanctuary. It's like Jesus approaching Jerusalem, but we're, ex- we're, we're elongating it. We'll do the same thing on Thursday, the same thing on Friday, the same thing on Saturday and Sunday. So that this is the one week of the year where we take what happens at every single Mass, every single Sunday throughout the year, and we're stretching it out. And as you say to, to real time, how... Is that a fair analogy? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. I redeemed myself. It doesn't distort it with like silly putty. Well, no. It does. It's not I trying mean, to trivial the yacht. I'm just <laughs> no, saying. I mean, silly putty distorts. This is the whole point. Well, that's right. We're not trying to distort it. We're trying to <laughs> that's accentuate. Where it that's where it lives. Uh, that's where yeah, it But lives. it is fantastic to be able to get this thing into real time. To, and that's why you can't just go do something else, at least for the triduum. At least take off Friday if you can. And it may be too late for that. We didn't That's prep true. them for... We don't know when this will get, it hit the interwebs. But, exactly. Um, okay, so let's talk about that, right? First thing I think is, is we look at Holy Week and we're really taking the Paschal Mystery that we celebrate at every single Mass and we're stretching it out, as you say, closer to real time and not in a way that's distorting, but in a way that is actually seeing it in sort of lifelike uh, time scale. Um, let's... First, I say, 
establish how we look at it. And so uh, you and I have had conversations in the past about how seeing things with the eyes of faith is it enables you to see more, not less. Right. So oftentimes people would say, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight, as a way of describing a Mr. Magoo-like character where you're just stumbling around and <laughs> somehow miraculously not falling off buildings, but he's essentially blind. Right. But that's not what we mean by that. Right. What we mean is, uh, as you've so eloquently put in times past, um, that it means that we, we walk by a higher vision as well as our natural vision. Um, and and th that we do it simultaneously. Right, and right. so we end up seeing more. Right. And I think, would you say, that that's how you have to approach Holy Week. You can't just simply see what we know, what was seen in history. It's not just a man who goes into Jerusalem and just a man, and a man who's betrayed, a man who's crucified, and a man who's missing now from a tomb. The layer of faith is critical. You have to have the double vision, but we do look at both, right? We do look at what happens at the, with our natural eyes right. or the natural eyes of the witnesses back then. But we're also looking at what happens in faith. And I think that that's what requires a little more reflection from us because I think people are really well aware of the historical events. He goes into Jerusalem, he's you know, he has a last supper, he's betrayed in the garden, he's turned over to the Sanhedrin and then they try to, because they can't execute somebody, they need to get the state officials to execute him, they go to Pontius Pilate, he's crucified, and then the tomb is empty. So everyone kind of knows what natural eyes saw. But how do we help people see? Well, and that's, and that's just it. They didn't. They might have known, <clears throat> as our people do now, what natural eyes saw. But how often does it say in the scriptures, pursuant to your point, that they didn't understand, right? Until afterwards. Yeah. And so, with frequency, you have these passages in the Gospels where someone has a sort of memory hook. They remember. A, a scent or a sight of something that's very particular, one of the gospel writers, and now he reinterprets it. Right? Now he reinterprets it because he's seeing with the eyes of faith on the other side, having received the Holy Spirit, what these things actually meant, even though in the time he didn't. And so for our faithful who approach these sacred mysteries in the Triduum, part of the, part of the exciting thing to, to engage in for three days is that our blessed Lord in his mystical body is experiencing these things, right? That now we're entering into the passion this year and the resurrection this year with all the things that we drag with it. Because when he was in that garden, and this is a point that is perhaps not considered very often, that when he received, by virtue of having himself, complete knowledge of souls, right? sharing in the beatific vision in his own humanity would be able to know every single sin of every single person from Adam until the end of time. And that's what he's drinking in that, Charles. That's what he accepts to himself, and it's no wonder he sweats blood. We can barely carry the kind of sins and offenses that are leveled, leveled against us, especially injustices, with any sort of um, equanimity. And he's taking the entire thing on himself, which means our last year as well. Everything yeah. that happened to us. So to be able to go into the, the three days and to keep him company, knowing that he sees it when he was doing it in real time. Mm -hmm. He sees us now doing that back then. And the love that motivates him. Absolutely. Because it's, it's a particular love. It's not just this abstraction, you know, as, as, you're, as you're putting it. 
it's it's not an abstraction of just I take on sin in general. He's, right. he's being very particular every single instance. Absolutely. But but it's he's taking on in that moment. I should say he's drawing from in that moment the strength that comes from his love for every sinner. Right. Right. And so you know we see in there. Uh, our, our faults and failings that, that are causing it, but at the same time we see the strength that he's drawing upon, which is greater than all of them, uh, that causes him to say, uh, thy will be done. Yeah, he wants those. Mm -hmm. Like he even says, with great desire have I desired to have this Passover meal with you. But to do so, to hand his body over to someone, you can't hand your body over unless you've, you've sort of offered it, right? Mm -hmm. It sort of sets in motion the sacrifice that takes place the next day. Um, he hands himself over this continuous line that, that gets played with in the Gospels between him handing himself over in terms of his own body and the handing of himself over into the hands of uh, the soldiers. And, so, and this is, so this, this, holy, this Holy Thursday to Good Friday, this movement, I mean, this is where I would say in the past, it seems like, it's because it is one liturgical event, right? We begin on Thursday and we don't conclude it until the final blessing after the Easter vigil. We do pausing. We pause on Thursday. We pause on Friday. We don't actually conclude them. We treat it as one. So when you think about it as a single liturgical event, but over three days, hence the word triduum, three days, you, you have two consecrations. Uh, you don't have it on Friday, but you have it on Thursday when you have it on Saturday night. And so when I think of it in that perspective, I think, okay, on Thursday, we have a heavy emphasis on what our natural eyes saw. We saw our Lord take the bread, take the chalice, and then break from the traditional Passover formula, and then insert himself as the lamb. So he inserts himself as, as this new Paschal offering. And then, of course, in that moment, saying, do this in remembrance of me, he's speaking to these who are his 12 apostles, those who are to be uh, ordained or in, into into his into his sacred ministry, so we celebrate not only the institution of the Holy Holy Eucharist, but also we celebrate the institution of the Holy Priesthood. But then he goes out into the garden, and so we have our altars of repose. So we we go to the art garden and we experience what you just described in the agony of the garden, and then he'll be betrayed there with a kiss be turned over to the religious and civil officials uh, to be crucified. So on Good Friday, we're marking the crucifixion. So we read the Passion of John, um, and we all venerate the cross, but we don't have a consecration, even though communion from the day before at Holy Thursday is brought out to be distributed. And, and so my thinking is, it's almost as though this twofold vision um, is, is, is playing out between Thursday and Good Friday, where you see, uh, obviously, with with our earthly, natural eyes, the narrative that's unfolding, but with this the gift of faith, we're able to see that the sacrifice in which he has set himself on Thursday is now being offered on Friday. So you wouldn't necessarily mm. have another consecration because we are just now seeing what that looks like. Um, on the cross. Mm -hmm. He he inserted himself as the lamb on Thursday. He's now sacrificed as the lamb on Friday. And so we're having this pause, like a stretching of the silly putty, where 
the consecration on Thursday, we're actually kind of moving into Friday to really, really reflect upon it. And we're receiving hosts from the same consecration right. uh, from the day before. Right. It's, it's this stretching out of him placing himself as the lamb in that event. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, you have that wonderful line from our Lord when he speaks about himself as the good shepherd, that no one takes my life from me, right? I lay it down freely. And so, in some sense, we can say legitimately that our Lord, in handing himself over to his apostles freely, then this thing gets played out because presumably, and as the text seems to suggest, Judas himself was there, right? And ate and drank his own condemnation, as St. Paul says. Right? He, he received our Lord. And it's because he's a friend, it's because he's an intimate, that, of course, he can betray him. And so it plays out what he'd already did. I hand myself over. I place myself in your hands to do with me as you will. And unfortunately, in some sense, but providentially, this is what it looks like when God puts himself into our hands. Mm. And it plays out on Friday, as you say. But he did it. He handed himself over on Thursday in a, in a, in a genuine sense. Um, and that makes, in some ways, it makes the the act of the sacrifice, him laying down his life on the cross, ironically, providentially, an act of obedience. So when he's saying to the apostles, take this, right? well, then they come and they take him. Not the apostles in this case, but the, the, mm -hmm. all those that, that are represented by the rest of us, all of humanity, we, we take him. Mm -hmm. um, and we do with him as we will. And yet that reality still becomes the means of our life, of our eternal life. And he knows it. And the power to change us, yeah. the power for love to conquer, right. uh, his power. And so then we, we, we transition now to the Easter Vigil. So in a certain way, we're looking at Thursday and Friday is what took place in history. And at the Easter Vigil, we're actually going to recall the entire history, entire history, going back to creation and the elements of creation with the fire, um, blessing of the fire, the darkness uh, that we found ourselves in as a result of the fall, a reflection of Genesis, at the moments of creation, of course, the beautiful exaltet, which is mm. preparing us to read these Old Testament texts in the light of faith. So we don't do this in the light of faith. In the light but of faith, pun intended. Exactly, <laughs> uh, and, and so we do this specifically in the light of the Paschal, uh, the Paschal candle after the Exaltat, which is calling to mind all that we know, so that we can listen with the benefit of faith. So that when we're hearing Exodus and Ezekiel and Isaiah, when we're hearing all these texts that are tracking through salvation history, we're doing it with Christian eyes, <clears throat> and then we move to, of course, the the Gloria, the ringing of the bells and the alleluias and uh, the reading of the gospel, the resurrection. In many ways, it seems to me, we are now looking at the same thing of Thursday and Friday, but on the heavenly, glorious victory side. You know, and th that, that you can only see what happened on Thursday and Friday as we celebrated on Saturday, Saturday night, the vigil, or Easter Sunday, with the eyes of faith. There's simply no way you can see it, see it with natural eyes. Uh, it requires that act of faith that he rose from the dead and all of what comes from that. 
that this is how saints are born. This is victory over sin and death. I mean, this is what this is the light for which we have all been yearning in history. The moment we were fallen into darkness with original sin, we've been pining for it throughout uh, the entirety of salvation history in the Old Testament. We've been moving toward the Messiah. This, this, the, with the fall, the cosmic clock uh, shifted into a night, and we've been waiting for a new day to rise. And with Christ, that spark of the friction of the crucifixion ignites a flame that's eternal, that brings us into a new day with the eyes of faith, that brings a new horizon. It's such that we, we say over and over and over again throughout Easter, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Mm -hmm. A whole new day of creation is added. So we're kind of into an eighth day that is now, that is now upon us, that brings us hope. Because quite honestly, um, darkness fell on the seventh day after mm -hmm. sin entered into the equation. And so we have this whole new creation event that's all unfolding before us, only seen through the eyes of faith. Well, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this before, but you, you note in Genesis, which is the reading that we begin with at the Easter Vigil, um, the, there's the first of all the creation of light, which isn't the creation of a natural light insofar as the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. And so you have this uh, commentary of the Father's almost as if he's creating being from non-being. Light is like being. It exists. Mm. Let something be um, as opposed to non-being. Um, and then he begins to shape all the things that, that have being. But what's interesting is that at every single day, and we'll hear this on the Easter Vigil, um, morning came, evening followed. But it never says night, yeah. just evening. Because there's no night. Mm. Night doesn't descend until the fall. That's a good way to there's put it. There's no yeah. night. And then we're stuck, as you said rightly, beautifully, in that night um, until a new day finally dawns. We're, we're stuck in a perpetual night. What is there to hope for until he comes? You know, in the pathos, I was thinking, as you were speaking as well, the movement that takes place over the three days, there's, there's a real interesting pathos if you try to get into the, into the, not just the scenes, but the actual graces that are taking place in those different events. Because you do have a sense of, of, of longing, of desire, of gratitude, of, of communion, etc. on Holy Thursday, but it's, it's tinged so much with the suffering that's about to come that you, you have a hard time really relishing it or enjoying it, which is one of the reasons the church gives us Corpus Christi in the summertime, because we, we, we didn't have enough time to think about the fact that he gave us his body and blood. Now, this is a regular word that you use. What's that? Pathos. A pathos. So you want to sure. explain that for it's people? Just, it's, the kind of, it's, it's the kind of a, a emotional movement that takes place in us. Mm -hmm. the, um, the way in which you feel something viscerally when these things take place. So I would, I would enjoin upon everyone just to kind of, um, when you're meditating on these different mysteries, when you're at the various services, pay attention to the things that go on inside of you and the way that they move. And then, it, because I don't know about you, but you go into the garden then, and when he's taken from you, and I have to be the, the Judas that takes him away when I'm in a parish. Um, we've, you've done that too. Yeah. And it's, it, it feels so horrible because the faithful are waiting there, watching with our Lord, trying to stay awake. And these altars of repose. Uh, altars of repose. And then all of a sudden the priest comes in. in with a couple guys with, with candles, like the, uh, the torches and the, and the, uh, the clubs and the yeah. sticks, and they just take him away. And he's not you're not really permitted to, to adore him at that point. And you feel an absence. You feel an absence. 
And the pathos of Good Friday is just this drumbeat that's moving ever closer to horror. But I, I don't know about you, but when the Passion Service is over on Good Friday, I have such a relief. Yeah. There's an, almost the beginning of that first nascent joy of Easter already. Yeah. Because you're like, it's over. It's done. It's, it's, it, it is finished. It's perfected. Yeah. And I never go back to the other pathos. Like, I just get more and more excited it, about it. Because there's a momentum that evolves. Yeah. And it, it, if you ride it properly, yeah. it doesn't reverse. Exactly. You know, exactly. I just want to say to everyone listening, you're welcome. Because I feel like... <laughs> I need to translate Father Kauth to the rest of the world. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, no. You know, you, you have great vocabulary. You know. Well, listen, I, you're talking about sparks and ignitions and all kinds those of are images. rhetorical flourishes. Everyone knows what those words mean. You on the, I mean, you, you got to get a thesaurus oh. out of here or some dictionary. But I will continue to do that. Thank I will translate you. Father Kauth to, to be approachable to the average ear. Now, listen, one of the things you can do. It's a crazy old tradition, which is wonderful if you can accomplish it, is because you're kind of inside of that same mystery, inside of that same mass almost. There is a tradition of fasting from the before the Mass on Holy Thursday all the way until after the Easter Vigil on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, we do it here at the seminary. The guys do it. It's, a, it's, it's difficult, um, but it's quite possible. Um, so and just enjoying that to you as a, as a pious tradition that could be engaged in. And you can modify it. Sure. Right. So you could like have a, a heavy liquid you are, diet. Are you already? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying you can have a heavy liquid diet. He's but, already negotiating. Wait, 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 wait. You are, you are not properly highlighting the feasting that occurs on Holy Thursday. Oh, that's true. So one should feast on Holy Thursday. One should first feast on Holy Thursday. As in keeping with the, the Blessed Sacrament. It's, so you're really talking about Friday and then... But uh, before the Saturday mass, into the typically vigil. before the mass, yeah. So, but right, right, but before the yeah. before the mass but on Holy Thursday. Want to wish everyone a very blessed Triduum, and how about before we go? Mm -hmm. What do you have before we go for the faithful? Before we go, well, you know, you were bringing up the topic of light. Mm. So, this is you know obviously completely separate from the topic of Holy Week and our normal conversations, mm -hmm. but. Actually, I take that back. It is common to our conversations to talk about odd things. So before we go, one of the odd things I would bring up is just how fascinating the quantum world is. We know when you bring up the, when you bring up the image of light, it is, uh, for anyone who's ever had the opportunity to study quantum mechanics and the quantum world, it is an extraordinary aspect of reality that would, you know, I would love nothing more than to sit and talk with experts on quantum mechanics and just to press with quite I I'm one of these guys that will Oops. on YouTube go and I will look up like <laughs> these these uh um these people that can do a very good job at demonstrating what the quantum world looks like and using mm. computer models. And it's just mind bending. And the reality is it's natural. Like it's natural. Everything in this room right now is moving. But you have no sense of it. it, it, it things, the table seems stable. But at a, at, at a small level, everything is in motion. That's everything. why you tell me when you're supposed to be exercising that you're very active on the molecular level. That's right. It may look, it may look as though I'm doing nothing. But on a molecular level, I'm very busy. <laughs> well, before we go, I do want to say, um, as one point of consideration, it struck me the other day that when they bring our Lord before 
the Sadducees and the priests and the scribes. They try to find someone to accuse him of something that can merit death, and no one can seem to agree. Everyone says different things. But finally, some rogue comes in and says, he said he could destroy the temple and build it in three days. And of course, the people repeat that, which is a significant thing to say, because you're saying to the Jews that this is God's house. I can destroy God's house, and thus, in some sense, God. I'm more powerful than that. So I can see why it would be considered such a claim and a reason for the tearing of one's vestments, etc., and calls for condemnation. But what strikes me about that passage is he never said it, which is one of those little memory hooks why John has to go back in his gospel and say, but he was talking about the temple of his body. No one got the fact that he simply said, destroy this temple, and the this didn't mean that. The this meant something else, which was his body. Another double entendre, sorry, that's another one of those words, but a double meaning, um, which our Lord is saying something that they think he's saying something else. But the reason I find that fascinating is because any of us would have sat there, especially if we're going to be killed, and say, but I didn't say that. Yeah. Like he doesn't correct them. Right. He doesn't open his mouth and say, that's a lie. I didn't say that. Um, he allows himself to be accused and even to die for something false. Which I find that just fascinating mm. in terms of my own sense of justice and my desire to make sure that everyone quotes me properly. But, if I, I didn't say that or I'm not, I shouldn't be accused of that or whatever but else. But it couldn't be any other way. I mean, of course. There's nothing to, because there is nothing to get. There's nothing to, <laughs> to, to Any of. accusation is going to be false right. because. Um, unless, of course, the, 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 the law was false. But in, yeah. in a religious tribunal, presumably. Um, like a lamb led a slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Yeah. So stay with our Lord this week. Don't abandon him. Stay right with him. And then you're there when, with him, of course, in his resurrection as well. And the next time when I have it before we go, I will not be upstaged again. I will make something, uh, <laughs> a reference to something holy rather than something profane. I'll pick something profane. Okay. All right. And then I'll do the holy. We'll moment. switch. All right, all right. Sounds good. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Rooftop. For updates about new episodes, special guests, and exclusive deals for From the Rooftop listeners, sign up at rooftoppodcast.com. And remember, for more great ways to deepen your faith, check out all the spiritual resources available at tanbooks.com. And we'll see you again next time. From the Rooftop. From the Rooftop.